I'm Brandon Reed, and you're listening to Real Estate for the Rest of Us, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of real estate investing. I want to cut through all the industry jargon and instead serve up actionable and unintimidating information that you can use in your own real estate journey. I interview real estate professionals, and we talk about their real-life experiences. It's real simple. Now let's get into the show. In today's episode, I talk with Victor Juracek. I think most people are familiar with the concept of flipping homes. Everyone has, at the very least, been in a waiting room as HGTV was playing in the background. But what those shows don't offer are the far more realistic aspects of what it takes to dig in and build a business flipping homes. And that's exactly what Victor does for us in this episode. He talks about how he got started, how he scaled, and perhaps most compellingly, how he's continuing to find profitable deals in today's very competitive market. If you're thinking about doing your first flip, or even if you've been flipping for years and want to hear from someone who's on track to do 30 deals in his third year of business, you may want to give this episode a listen. I hope that in this interview, you find practical insights that you can learn from or directly apply as you continue on your own journey in real estate. And now here's my conversation with Victor. All right. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, today we have Victor Juracek. Victor, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on. We were just chatting briefly uh, and just discovered you're my neighbor up there in Gainesville, Florida. So um, that's great. <laughs> and yeah, as you said, small world. It's, it's good to have you on and I'm excited to hear your perspective. Um, let's do dig right in. Let's, let's talk about uh, a little bit, Victor, about your experience, about your background, kind of what, what got you started in the real estate world? How did that kind of come about? Um, and how long you've been doing it? Yeah, sure. So I, I was before this, I was in healthcare. I was in like kind of corporate as an office, uh, like administrator and helped run a little home health agency and just slowly realized like, Hey, this is for me. Like it wasn't paying me enough. And then I didn't really like it. So I realized like, I want to, you know, I want to do something else and always just have like the real estate bug, like something real estate was always in the back of my mind. It was one of those things like, Hey, I want to do this first thing. And then real estate It was always like, okay, let me do this thing. And then real estate. And then I eventually realized like, Hey, why don't I just go do the thing I want to do, which is real estate. And let me just, you know, get back to basics. Let me get back to what I want to do. So you know, basically made the, made the transition. I started wholesaling and then I started, you know, fixing and flipping, which is what I'm doing. I've been like full time about three years here, but that's that's pretty much the journey. That's pretty much how I got started. Okay, awesome. So wholesaling is is where you got your start, which I know is yeah. a, a common a common thing. A lot of people get started there. Why start there? Um, I mean, a lot of people have a similar story, but I want to hear your journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, why start with wholesaling? Why not start any anywhere else? There's so many different strategies. Uh, sure. So how I started to learn this stuff, I basically had a mentor and I got connected through a friend of a friend. So I got connect, connected Chris Chico and basically like, I couldn't afford his mentorship program. It was like three grand a month back then. I was like, okay, I can't do that. So what can I do? Uh, so what I could do is he basically had a position for a cold caller set up. Uh, and it was like commission only, like, you know, whatever you bring, bring, bring in, you get like a percentage of like, okay, cool. Let me go do this. Let me go make this happen. And he was wholesaling. So that's what I learned. So he was teaching me wholesaling. So it just was a natural extension. Like he's already doing it. Let me get my first couple deals. I did my first couple deals, realized like, hey, wholesaling is great. Nothing wrong with it. Just not really for me. I don't really like being the middleman. I wanted to do my own deals, take down my own transactions. So then, you know, slowly started to transition to flipping. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. How many years did you wholesale before you kind of started digging into flipping? 
I did two wholesale deals and then I did a fix and flip and never looked back. So okay. I've been wholesale since 2018. So my okay. first wholesale, I made about 3000. Second one made 3,500. Uh, I started fixing and flipping and the first fix and flip was a 29 K net profits. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, well, add a zero to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, great. That's a, that's an easy transition. So let's, Let's talk a little bit about uh, fixing and flipping. You know, today in today's market and environment, um, it's it's obviously everybody knows it's all over the country. Some places more than others, others, but all over, it's it's really hot and margins yeah. are thin. Um, it's tough to find deals. Let's start with the beginning of a of a of a deal. Uh, just finding a property, even finding something to start running numbers on. How how are you doing it? Uh, and if it's and if you have different advice other than how you're doing it, how would you give advice of people to get started in in an environment where properties are being overpaid for and there's you know t- ten people at the at the asking at the uh, uh, final table where they're you know asking or o- offering over asking price? How do you, how are you competitive in an environment like that? How do you get started? Uh, I think the biggest thing. So the first thing is like choosing a market. So for okay. example, when I started the cold calling, this is even in 2018, I started in Miami and I was cold calling and it'd be 8 a.m. And I'd cold call and the person would pick up like, hey, and I'd say, hey, any, any interest in selling your home? Like, no, you're the fifth person who's called me today. That's 8 a.m. You know, I'm the fifth yeah. person. So they're getting calls all throughout the day to sell their property. So it's really hard to be competitive or get sort of any sort of edge in that sort of property. So then I switched to Gainesville's night and day difference. Like people are like, oh, nobody's ever called me about this property. Like, yes, I want to sell. Like, I want to sell to you, all that sort of stuff. So choosing your market, probably the biggest thing. Um, and especially if you're in a market like a California or New York or like a Miami, like some of these larger markets, like a Phoenix, or like in Arizona, I recommend choosing a smaller market. Even if, even if you have to do virtual, it's worth it just because it is ultra competitive, it's going to be really hard to, to beat out someone who's buying cash, like can do the work themselves and all these different other things. That's probably the first thing I'd say, like choose your market. Uh, second thing I'd say is there's like on market opportunities and off market. Uh, I've, I'm on track for about 30 flips this year, which is great. Only one of which was on market, meaning like MLS, meaning like realtor.com, Zillow, listed through a uh, realtor. Only one of them, you know, so that's where I'm getting most of my opportunities is not not where everyone else is, because if you're going where everyone else is, like you're going to be competing with everyone else, which is not what you want. So you want to go direct to seller, you know, just uh, directly to the person you want to work with. Yeah. And and that, you know, in theory is is great. It's like there's on market, there's off market. Everybody's competitive. Everybody's on market. How do you get off um, uh, onto the off market and, and start to uh, find deals there? I mean, what how, what's this What's your strategy? How did you do it? How did you get started? Is it different from what you're doing now? How do you find uh, properties off market? Uh, well, there's, there's a lot of different ways. Um, I think the biggest thing is just, so we have the philosophy of off market, on market. Okay, so you want to go off market. Yep. Okay, so yep. does it make sense to open a phone book and call every homeowner? Like, hey, I want to buy your house. Like, let's say your house is worth, you know, 100,000. I, I offer you like, hey, I'm going to buy it for 50,000. Like, you know, like, no, the answer is going to be no. So there's no reason for you to do that. So let's work through the philosophy here. So why would someone sell their house for less than it's worth? Well, there has to be a reason. There has to be some sort of motivation there. There has to be like, hey, I, I don't want to deal with this place for some reason. So you have to find motivation within people. And that's um, a lot of things. That could be a vacant house, lots of repairs needed on a house. Um, it can be, what else would be like divorce, if they're out of state owners, if they're tired landlords, if they're dealing with an eviction, like I can keep going on the list here, but there's some sort of uh, there's some sort of 
need. There's some sort of motivation there where they just don't want to deal with it. They'd rather just sell it to you uh, cash and be done with it. So that's the, that's the first thing. Okay. So we're doing off market. Now we're dealing with motivation. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to those more motivated lists, something like a, yeah, a probate or a divorce or a, a tax liens. Um, yeah. And then are you getting to them through direct mail? Are you cold calling them? Skip tracing the people? How are you doing that? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, um, especially for beginners, I am hundred percent against direct mail for beginners. So if you're advanced, okay. great. Direct mail is a great piece. It's a great tool. Um, but if it's direct mail, like mass mailing, it's the, the thing is it's really expensive and it takes a while to get a deal. So you might be mailing for month after month after month. So you might have to spend, you know, two grand this month, two grand next month, two grand the month after, and then you're going to get a deal. And a lot of people kind of give up halfway through because they haven't gotten a deal yeah. and they're spending so much money. Uh, so, uh, there's nothing wrong with direct mail, but just for beginners, I'd highly advise against it. Uh, for beginners, I recommend like start with the free methods to get deals. Uh, then you can switch to paid stuff, like focus on the free, just so you can like really practice your negotiation skills, practice your like running numbers, practice like everything A to Z. So you're really comfortable with the process. Uh, Cause exactly when you're spending money to get leads, like you don't want to, uh, you want to mess up cause you didn't know what to do or say like, Oh, that could have been a deal, but I messed up, you know, and I was like, okay, I got to get more leads, get more leads and pay for more leads. And then I can, um, you know, try it again. So, so that's what I recommend, like try those free ways and we can talk about that, but then switch to paid methods. Like direct mail is definitely a paid method. You have to spend quite a bit. You can't send 10 postcards and get a deal. You got to spend, you know, like you got to send thousands and thousands, yeah. especially today. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's definitely expensive. And a lot of people can't go six grand in the hole before they, before they get a deal. Even if the first deal pays that off, it's tough to spend that much money before you get yeah. one. Um, so, but I, I do want to dig in a little bit to kind of those, those free areas. What are even some of the more compelling sure. ones, the, the more, uh, uh, fruitful or efficient ones that you've found, um, for yourself? Um, so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of good free ones. Uh, like Craigslist is good. Uh, Facebook marketplace, uh, like wholesalers, um, uh, for sale by owner. These are all good, good methods. Yeah. You can do like a driving for dollars. That's not necessarily free, but it's, it's really affordable and it's, it's close to free. Uh, that's probably kind of going up the scale a little bit, but those are, I mean, that's five things right off the bat you can do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, it, you, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you were on track to do, oh, I didn't write it down. Was it 50 flips this year? Uh, 30, 30, 30. man. That's, that's incredible. And I mean, that's, that is a business at scale for sure. So that, mm-hmm. uh, tell me a little bit, Victor, how you, um, so someone, someone listening to this and here's 30 deals and that feels obviously completely unattainable. It feels a mm-hmm. hundred steps from where they are now. Um, how did you start to break that down? How did you scale? It sounds like it happened in a relatively short period of time. How did you get started and how did you, it sounds mm-hmm. like if you do something that quick, you have to set up a bit of a foundation correctly or else when you scale, you crumble. So how did you do that as well? How did you set the business up as a business, take it seriously from the beginning so that as it grew, it could be successful? Um, yeah. So as mentioned, I went from the wholesaling to the flipping. So my first year I did two flips, then I did eight, and then 20 was last year, then 30 is this year, um, or is, is we're on track for that. Um, yeah. So just it's step by step. So we started, it, it uh, didn't start out like this, when I, when I start out, I would hear like, Oh, someone did like 10 or 12 in a year. I'm like, Whoa, that's a lot. And then he started to do that many like, Oh, that's actually not that many. 
And that's just really how it just it just evolved. It didn't uh, it didn't start out like an end vision at the beginning. It was just like, well, well, you know, we're doing really well in these flips. Like, why not just continue doing more? Like, we're we're making good money. We're you know doing well. Um, and another flip deal comes up. Like, okay, let's just let's just do another one, another one, another one. And it's like, well, we know how to handle two at a time. Let's do three at a time. So it's just a natural evolution. Uh, never was from the game. Like, hey, I want to do thirty, or hey, I want to do whatever. Okay. Um, but it's just a natural evolution there. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did. Um, yeah, because so- sometimes, I mean, it's it's a chicken or the egg. If you're setting up a business to scale and kind of filling that demand into like a team that you're growing, or if deals are just mm-hmm. coming and you're just kind of like growing your team because you're getting the deal flow, and you're like, all right, we have to grow it as a result of that. Which it sounds a bit more of what it was like. And how did you how did you do yeah. that? I mean, how did you as you were getting more deals and you're like, hey, this is bigger than just me. Um, how did you grow your team and what does your team consist of? Yeah, sure. So yeah, it started out, um, it started out like I would do the work, like I would uh, do the painting, I would do the flooring, and at least like try to help out and try to do that stuff. I realized quickly, like one, it takes up a lot of your time if you're doing that. So if you're doing that all day, you can't be, you know, out hunting for deals or out doing this or raising money or all these different things. So I was like, okay, okay. that's the first thing I realized, like, okay. And then I'd work a whole day and I'd be exhausted at the end of the day. Like, okay, I can't do anything else except for work on the premise. Like, Hey, this, this model, I can't do the work myself. If I want to do a couple a year that works, but I wanted to do more. That was the first thing. Second thing I realized I wasn't very good at it. So like, I'm not a great painter. I'm not great at flooring. Like all these things I'm not good at. I'm not good. I don't even touch electrical. I've never done a roof. I've helped out on a roof, but I've never done anything like that. And I just realized like, okay, like I'm not good at it and it's taken my time. So let me just switch over. So then I did, um, that was the first one, like done, do it yourself, DIY model, which a lot of people do. Then I switched over to like a done with you model. Like I'd hire a painter and then pay him. I'd hire a flooring guy. Okay. Pay him. And then, you know, you'd hire the next person and like you pay him and like, you're, you're kind of the manager. You're the, you're the person doing it. Uh, same thing. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you're going to be running around a lot, you know, paying people, all that stuff. Uh, so that's when I did the next uh, iteration, which is like general contractor project manager. So you basically give someone the project and they handle it A to Z. And like you free up your time a little bit more to focus on other stuff. Uh, so it's just this, again, natural evolution where as you're going through the process, you realize like, wait a second, there's more to this that I'm missing out on more by doing this. Uh, so let's let's make a change. So now the team's it's still pretty lean. It's me, it's me, a project manager, and then like a like a VA, and that, that's pretty much it. So we just keep it pretty lean. Wow, awesome! And then do you have a, a general contractor pretty much on retainer? Like you're just feeding him or her work, or is that um, yeah? Do you have multiple you work with? Oh, uh, that's just the project manager. No, that's oh, the project okay. manager. So she handles the the projects. Yeah, I tried the GC model. Um, there's there's nothing wrong with that, but it was just kind of pricey, yeah. and then. Uh, he also couldn't handle like all our, all our deals. He can handle like one at a time, yeah. which is, you know, nothing wrong with that, but we were doing more than one at a time okay. in terms of renovation. Yep. So we we kind of switched this, this thing. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And then GCs, they have to pay like insurance. They have, there's yeah. all, there's all these like overhead costs that really don't add value to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're so, just hiring trades to like get the job done yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Pretty much. Cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then uh, I was also going to ask about funding a bit because that's another yeah. 
That's another just hurdle. It's another kind of almost a black box as you're getting started in real estate period, but f- f- uh, fixing and flipping in general, because you know, you hear, even if you get help with or uh, get a, get a loan for the property, that rehab cost is almost always out of pocket. And that's really, I think, intimidating for people. So how did you do that at the beginning? Um, how did you scale that and are doing it now? And then what advice do you have for people who are getting started, how they can uh, fund a rehab? Um, I think the thing there, so how I got started again, um, like you know how much I made in my first and second deal. So it's not like I had a a ton of money sitting around. I didn't have like hundreds of thousands in the bank. So I basically had to get creative. So that's kind of what happened on that third one that became a fix and flip. Uh, My first intention with it was to wholesale it. I was like, okay, well, let me try to wholesale this thing. And I shopped it around to a couple cash buyers. Like nobody was biting on it. It's like, this is is a good deal. I know this is a good deal. You know, we're buying at the right price. It doesn't need much work. Um, You know, the you can sell it and make a profit. It's so like, you know, there's, there's potential here. So I don't know why, why we're getting so much pushback, you know? So I figured like, Hey, I don't want to lose this deal. I don't want to let this seller down. Let me find, um, let me find someone to partner with. And basically that's where like the concept of a money partner came around uh, for me, where basically like I found the deal, I'd help like, like manage it in terms of renovations I'd help sell it. And they would put in the money to, to buy it, to fix it up, to sell it. And then we'd split the profit. Uh, so that's how, how it was on the first one. So uh, we just we just did that. So made it happen and sold it. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Then I do. I've slowly gone away from that, starting to do my own deals. Like, as you can imagine, starting to get your own money and do your own deals. Um, but I still do that to this to this day. And it just allows you to do more and scale more, especially like if you go over budget with a rehab, if they pull in, put in a little more money, it just makes life a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, a lot of people have that same story of f- finding a partner, especially at the beginning, who uh, has the mm-hmm. money, but doesn't maybe do- doesn't have the time uh, or the experience to yes. put it to work. So that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Um, okay. Awesome. So uh, as you continued to uh, scale and get started, I mean, how did the, how did the funding model change for you? Um, like how did it shift? Are you just now funding all your own deals? Are you still partnering? I know people who've scaled their business, but they still partner for different reasons um, to bring in money from the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still partner. I still partner. I want to start doing my own deals. That's my, my goal for next year. Uh, I'll probably still partner here and there, but mostly, mostly my own. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, it's it's served its purpose. You know, it's, it got me started, got me to where I'm at, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. But uh, at a certain point, it, it's pretty expensive to give equity in in a transaction, especially like when you've got a system going in. Yep. Um, so that's that's pretty much it. So I, uh, in terms of my deals now, I guess uh, I don't know, fifty fifty. It's, it's a rough, okay. it's a rough metric. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious, uh, Victor, with someone kind of of your experience, who's done as many uh, transactions and flips as you have, um, what is your thought on like the Burr method, the buy, uh, uh, rehab, ref, uh, refinance, repeat, I think um, is, is what it is. Uh, Are you familiar with it? I am. Okay. Yeah. So it's buy, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, rent. Okay. repeat. Yeah. Oh, you got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. I think it's a great method. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think it's a great method. I think people often overlook the fees because I've done 10 or so of these people often overlook the fees, uh, because you have to buy it, you know, and then you have closing costs associated. Then when you refinance it out, it's like almost like closing it again. So I know it looks like a great strategy on paper, but, um, and it is a great strategy and I, I do it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's, it's just, just be careful with those fees. Um, the other thing with Burr, there's 
I like to think of it like do a flip, do a burr, do a flip, do a burr. Like every time you do a flip, let's say you'll make 20, 30, 40,000 net. Awesome. Then you can put that into a rental or put that into a burr deal. Cause I know on paper, it's like with burr, like, oh, you'll pull out all of your money. But in reality, it doesn't always happen that way. You might have to leave, you know, some money in, into the deal. Uh, and then you're kind of stuck. Like if you have to, you know, personally get, you know, 20,000 every time you have a burr deal or whatever the number is, 10,000. With a lot of rentals, I see people make that mistake. They're like, okay, I'll buy a rental. It's like, okay, well, now I need to save up and save all the cash flow up for a couple of years. Then I can do another one. And just a much longer process versus like flip, burr, flip, burr. And you can just buy rentals forever. And that's that's infinite cash flow. Interesting. Um, okay. So let me also hear kind of from you and your perspective and so much experience with mm-hmm. um, it, how do you know when you see a deal, when you see a property come across your desk, how you're looking specifically at it from a flip perspective, not necessarily from a, is this yeah. a flip or a buy and hold, right? You're almost always only doing the deals that would uh, make sense flip. for flips. So yeah. how, how do you make that decision, yeah. I guess, is, is my question of how do you see a property and you're like, hey, here are the key things, my flags that like pique my interest that say this is a good deal to flip versus one that would be good to hold. Uh, I think it's all about the numbers because um, there's a million variables when it comes to this stuff. Like what's the school district? What's the bedrooms, bathrooms? What's how, how much land does it have? Like, is it near a road? Is it like public road? Is it private road? Is it dirt? Or is it, you know, asphalt road? There's a million uh, factors that that uh, that go with the property, right? There's a million variables. So if you try to analyze every variable, like you're just going to get stuck and you're not going to make any progress. So it's really down to the numbers. And for me, it's really three numbers. Um, it's like, what am I buying it for? What am I putting into it in terms of repairs? What can I sell it for? So that's all it is. It's just three numbers. And a lot of the those variables are kind of baked into it. So if it's a better school district, it'll sell for more. So it's higher like ARV, like after repaired value. Um, if it's a dirt road versus like a, a whatever public road, um, it's going to be slightly lower ARV. So it's, it's all baked into those numbers, but just those three numbers, uh, just to make life a lot easier. And if you consistently buy according to those numbers, you know, some, and I've seen this too, like some deals do great do a little bit better than expected. Some do a little worse than expected, but on average, you'll just kind of hit that, that, uh, middle threshold of performance. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And profit. Yeah. Um, let me, mm-hmm. let me shift gears a bit to kind of how you've learned along the way, Victor, you mentioned at the beginning, you, um, you had sought out a mentor and although you di- didn't do his program right away, uh, you had worked with him, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure was an incredible learning experience in and of itself. But as you look back, uh, on your relatively shorter journey and what you've learned along the way, what can you kind of point out some of the most key things that were helpful for you in your real estate education that if someone looking to get started were to um, try to kind of follow in your steps and say, here were the kind of the most important things that that gave me the biggest leaps forward in my education? Um, I think nowadays, a lot of people overemphasize like, oh, you just got to take action which is true. So let me put the caveat there, but they're always like, okay, take massive action. And how I see it, and this is kind of how I got started. I kind of got started in a kind of stepwise function. So you kind of dip your toe in the water and then you slowly get into the water versus, you know, just jumping in. Uh, And I see a lot of people make this mistake. They're like, oh, I want to get into real estate. I want to, I want to get my first deal. I'm going to this weekend, I'm going to sit down and make 50 offers. I'm going to make five, zero offers. I'm going to get a deal this weekend versus that's that's a model one. Model two is like, hey, I'm going to make an offer a day until I get a deal. And model two is actually more powerful uh, because like it's more consistent, it's more habit forming. It's actually more sustainable, 
You know, that's the other thing. So I just liken it to a gym where like, hey, if you want to get uh, in shape, you're not going to go to the gym every day for a week. If you do that, you're just going to be sore and not see a lot of results. I'd rather you go to the gym three times a week or two times a week even and do it for a whole year. So there's the value and consistency and and like small steps. So I think people just overemphasize action, action, action. Like there's a correct type of action. And that's like just a little bit every day, which um, is actually harder, believe it or not. It's hard to do something consistently over a long period. I couldn't agree more. And I really like that perspective. You you don't always hear that balance, uh, Mm -hmm. especially in just our area of real estate. You just hear, yeah, massive action, take it now, get started. And so people will go and just blow it out. And either they burn themselves out and don't follow through, or they spend so much time and energy and get so drained. And if they don't see a result from that, that can be so discouraging um, that it keeps them from moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to add to that, that's that's how I actually got started cold calling. So my first cold calling, you know, as you're, you know, you have a list and you're cold calling, it's kind of intimidating, kind of nerve wracking. Like my first cold calling session, I think it was like a minute long or two minutes long. I think I just talked to one person and I was like, okay, well, that's it for today. And then like the next day was like five minutes. And then it just slowly progressed until I could do half an hour or an hour session. And that's it. And it wasn't, you know, it's not sexy and it's not uh, exciting, but uh, in the moment that day, it's like, oh, I only did two minutes or I only did like three minutes. But then you look back and that was years ago. And like, I've you know, really compounded sure. since then. And like a month after starting cold calling, I was like, I was comfortable doing an hour a day and I was comfortable talking to people. So um, just with how our brains work, I think we just over overestimate. Um, or underestimate, I should say, like just little yeah, stuff. For sure. I mean, habit forming is that that's where really the power is in that, I think, is what you're breaking down is like yeah. for, forming a habit that's uh, that is a channel that's much deeper in your brain. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and can last a lot longer. Exactly. Um, Okay. Awesome. Well, let me, let me also, uh, this is my last question for you here is let me, uh, a- ask you okay. if you could go back, um, just a, you know, the couple years ago, you said 2017, I think, or so when you got started, was that 2017? Did you say? 2018, uh, 2018. When you got started. Um, if you could kind of go back and somehow tell yourself, uh, that version of yourself, uh, one thing or something, yeah, just the most helpful thing you can think that would save yourself the most trouble over the following years, what would that be? What could be the most helpful to tell that version of yourself? Well, the first thing I would have told myself is get started yeah. earlier. So I had a, I had a mentor and like five, six years ago, so even before the three years, so so five, six years ago, he's like, because I was kind of thinking about the real estate and um, decided to go a different direction. I basically didn't listen to his advice and his advice, like, hey, you know, get started in real estate, you know, flipping houses. That's how I got started. But you can parlay that into something bigger. And I was like, okay, I didn't take the advice. Eventually took it. But if you just follow that pattern, like two, eight, you know, 20, who knows where I would have been, you know, five, six years ago, I could have been at 40, 50 a year. So there's that, that really like compounding growth that uh, like non-linear, non-linear growth, which is, which is key to this stuff. So probably the first advice I'd take. Um, second advice, I really like, like which, what I knew, what I wish I knew when I started was like numbers game. So I know numbers game, like we talked about it for deals, but it's actually for leads and offers too. So I say on average for me, it's like one in 15 offers becomes a deal. Right. So if you know that number, and I didn't know that going into it, like every time I got a rejection, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this isn't working. And this is, uh, this, you know, I don't know about this stuff. But if I knew that one out of 15 number getting into it, 
Like it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Like someone says, no, okay, that's one down 14 to go. Okay. I got another note today. That's two down 13 to go. Um, so I wish I knew that. Uh, Cause especially when you're starting out, like those first rejections really hurt and you, you do your next one and do your next one. And I, I know a lot of people who give up, you know, from offer number seven, to offer number eight, and they didn't know offer number nine was the golden one that was going to get them their first deal. So just that numbers game aspect to just like disassociate from it, it uh, emotionally and just take yeah, it from a logic. That makes a lot of sense. Standpoint. You know, and I, I hear I hear both of those things pretty often. Just get started earlier. Um, but I also liked your earlier comment of get started, but get started wisely, get started with direction um, and, and in a way that uh, is, is sustainable. Um, and then, yeah. And then I hear, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just, I hear, I hear that a lot in your second one shoot was you just said it numbers game I hear that all the time I hear people get educated on your numbers and make sure that you know I mean that it makes a lot of sense you said one out of every 15 deals if you would have known that um, ahead of time that could have just been so much more helpful for you for your um, yeah for to 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 help you be consistent and stay positive as you were going through it that all makes a lot of sense yeah, exactly. Um, well, Victor, thank you so yeah. much for your time. Uh, I love digging in with somebody uh, with this much experience, and um, it's just really, really helpful and offers a lot of value to my listeners. So I really appreciate your time today, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was cool to share share some of these, um, yeah. you know, pieces of yeah, advice for sure, I wish for I had sure. earlier. All <laughs> right. Well, thank you again. You take care. If you guys enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. That actually helps a lot to get the podcast out there as people are looking for helpful real estate investing resources online. You can also like our Facebook page to keep up to date with new episodes as they publish. And don't forget to subscribe through whatever podcast player that you use. If you have questions about a specific topic that we covered, or if you have a suggestion about another area that you'd like to see me dig into, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. I'd love to get in touch. You can email me at brandon at realestatefortherestofus.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. One show at a time, we'll work to make real estate investing accessible for the rest of us.